0: Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning is from Acts chapter 28, verses 11 to 31. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria, with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium, And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Puccioli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Apius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself, with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But we desire to hear from you, what are your views? For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God, and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him. Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is God's true word.
1: About 30 years. It was about 30 years. About 30 years without the help of modern transportation, without the help of the printing press, without the assistance of television or the Internet, News about Jesus of Nazareth and and a growing following of people dedicated to him spread from Palestine all the way to the heart of the Western world. Almost a quarter of the world's population lived under the Caesars of Rome. And in about 30 years, news of Jesus and his gospel and his people spread from Palestine to the heart of the Western world to Rome itself. What was first regarded as a small, curious Jewish sect, a sect of Judaism, um, advanced to encompass both Jews and Gentile pagans, and it began to attract in that time the poor and the wealthy, slaves and citizens, the uneducated, and the learned elite, women and men from all ethnicities and backgrounds, all languages. Many years later, about a century later, after Christianity had continued to grow and spread, uh, the church father, Tertullian, uh, in, in one of his writings, defending the Christian faith, and defending the lives and attitudes and worldview of Christians, said this uh, to, to his pagan opponents. He said, we are but of yesterday, and we have filled every place among you, cities, islands, fortresses, towns, marketplaces, the very camp, tribes, companies, palace, senate, forum. We have left nothing to you but the temples of your gods. The preacher James Boyce wrote that, humanly speaking, Christianity had nothing going for it in the very beginning. It had no money. It had no proven leaders, no technological tools for propagating the gospel. And it faced enormous obstacles. It was utterly new. It taught truths that were incredible to the unregenerate world. It was subject to the most intense hatreds and persecutions, yet... Voice wrote, yet as Luke records its growth in this document in Acts, it spread from Jerusalem, which was an obscure corner of the world, to Rome, the world's capital, all within, listen to this, all within the lifetime of the first generation of believers living during the time of the Lord Jesus Christ. One generation. So we as a church have spent almost nine months studying the book of Acts, studying this careful history written by the ancient physician and Christian, the Gentile, Luke. And and we've studied it uh, because I wanted us to focus for a long time to just focus as a new church, as a church plant. I wanted us to catch a vision for our calling here, for our calling as not only Americans Living as Christians living as Americans, but living right here in Carroll County on the East Coast, living in Westminster, worshiping in Westminster and the surrounding towns in Carroll County, by looking at how the Spirit of God worked to give birth to Christianity and the church in the very beginning, I wanted us to catch a vision for how he works and how he brings new life into individuals and families and people groups and cultures and communities. I want to catch a vision. By seeing how God worked in the very beginning. It's a history, I know that. So not everything directly and exactly applies to how we live uh, and, 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 and operate in every way. And yet, by seeing how the Spirit of God moves and works in His church and in culture, I thought we would learn some things by it. And we have. We've seen a lot of things in the last nine months. For instance, we've seen that the gospel, the good news is an exclusive message, meaning you can't change the message. It is what it is. The content remains the same. Jesus alone, throughout humanity, throughout human history, Jesus alone reconciles us to God. There's no other way to God. There's no other way to healing and transformation and forgiveness and true purpose as creatures here on this planet, apart from Jesus. The gospel message is exclusive, but we've also seen that its scope, its reach is vastly inclusive. Uh, Regardless of your social status, your economic status, regardless of your race, your culture, your ethnicity, your language, where you've been, where you're going, where you grew up, where you live, where you work, regardless, the gospel reaches out to everybody. We've also seen that as the gospel, as Christianity, true Christianity advances, Christians will suffer. They will face suffering. They will also face opposition, sometimes radical opposition. And in, in the very least, the opposition that just inconveniences them on a regular basis. And as we f- reflect on the end of Luke's history, in chapter 28 of Acts, as we reflect on Paul reaching Rome, on Paul's imprisonment in Rome, here's what I want to impress upon you. Nothing can hinder God's plan. Nothing can silence God's word and nothing can destroy God's people. Chains didn't hinder Paul from doing what God had called him to do. Chains did not hinder Paul from his witness, from testifying about who Jesus was. And it's because God's spirit, the Holy Spirit was with Paul. It's because God's word was with Paul and God's people were with Paul also. His word, his spirit, his people with Paul. And chains could not prevent Paul from living out his calling, from living out his witness. So what I want to talk to you today about is witness. First of all, Luke's witness and your witness and even God's witness. Luke had a witness. You have a witness. We have a witness. God has a witness. Let's begin with Luke. Luke's witness here in Acts chapter 28 and really his entire history, his book. Luke's witness really was to testify that the gospel had advanced just as Jesus said it would from the very beginning. That's Luke's testimony. That's Luke's witness the gospel had been advancing. And and he really highlights in three ways. The gospel advanced by means of the plan of God, the word of God, and the people of God. God's plan, God's word, God's people. Gospel advanced in these three ways. You see it in Acts chapters 27, which we're not covering today, and Acts chapters 28. Now... The plan of God was directing Paul and the apostles and the the people, uh, Christians, all along. You read between the lines, that's what you see. Paul survived his sea journey from Palestine all the way to Rome, like a one-year-long journey. He survived it while chained and guarded. He survived it while he was sea-tossed and shipwrecked and snake-bitten. Uh, Just read about it in Acts chapter 27, because God's spirit was directing his course. That's really the theme. That's the theme throughout Acts, is that the Holy Spirit is directing the course of the church and the course of the apostles, and here, the course of Paul. It was at the very beginning, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus Christ, before he ascended, before he left, said to his apostles, who wanted to know, by the way, the apostles wanted to know, hey... When's the big day going to come? You know, when are you going to restore everything? Where are you going to bring the glory days back? When are you going to make everything right? Jesus said, that's, I, that's really none of your business. I don't want you to worry about that right now. Here's what I want you to focus on. And this is what he said to them. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And then many decades later, um, the Christian hater, Saul, become uh, the Christ lover, Paul, and an apostle. When, when he was at the end of his third missionary journey, he, he went back to Jerusalem to deliver a gift for the church in Jerusalem from, from the Greek Christians. And while he was in Jerusalem, um, he was attacked by the religious opposition in Jerusalem. And he was ultimately imprisoned by the Romans just to protect him, just to keep him alive. Um, while, his, while his case proceeded through the Roman court system, because he was a citizen of Rome. He was a Roman citizen. And while he was in the barracks one night in, in Jerusalem, the Lord Jesus came to appear to him by his side. And Jesus said to Paul, take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. And then, and then as a couple of years later, as Paul is now, as a prisoner, he had appealed to Caesar, he had appealed his case to Caesar, and now as he's sailing on a ship, over 200 people, and he's, he's bound, he's guarded by a Roman centurion, and, and as he's sailing and he's in a storm, they would be, they would be shipwrecked on the island Malta. Uh, but before they got there, as the, as the ship is being tossed around in the Mediterranean Sea, uh, an angel appears to him and, and basically says to him, Do not be afraid. Paul, you must stand before Caesar. So the plan of God is really the primary agent in the book of Acts. The apostles are working hard. Men and women in the church are working hard. Things are happening. Good things are happening. Bad things are happening. The opposition, uh, the the religious opposition is working hard. The Romans are working. Everybody's doing something But God's spirit is directing the course of the church. God's spirit is directing the course of his people and his apostles. The the main character in the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit. And as the plan of God is directing Paul, the word of God is equipping him. Paul's evangelism, which means his, his testimony about Christianity, and Paul's apologetics, his defense, his argument. Um, for the rationality and the good sense and the truth of Christianity, his his evangelism and his apologetics were guided by Scripture, and you see that again and again. You see it in Acts twenty-eight when he finally gets to Rome. What does he do? He, he does every, he does the same thing he's always done. He talks to the Jews. Now, he's, he's under house arrest and he's chained, so he can't go find them as, he, as was his custom. What, they come to him. He invites them. He sends them, you know, Instagram invitations or he tweets it or something. They find out about it. And, and the Jewish leaders, um, they come to him to hear him talk under house arrest. And what does he talk to them about? He says to them, it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. What was the hope of Israel? It was the hope of the Old Testament and the ancient prophets. A Messiah is coming. A Messiah is coming to make things right, to restore creation, to restore us. The hope of Israel is the Christian gospel, Jesus himself. And so Paul says, hey, folks, my fellow countrymen, it is the hope of Israel. It is our hope. That has put me in these chains. And he starts to talk about it. And Luke tells us in verse 23 that from morning until evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And now in verse 24, we see what is just the case. As always, some believed and some did not. Some were convinced and received the gospel message. And some doubted. And they were divided amongst themselves. And that's always been the case. It was the case for Paul. It's the case today for us. Some doubt and some believe. But I want to encourage you by this fact. And we see it back in verse 16. Luke tells us Paul was allowed to stay by himself in Rome. With the soldier who guarded him. Apparently the Romans... uh, (coughs) You know, the centurion um, who was with Julius, who was with Paul during that entire journey, uh, he treated him kindly, Luke tells us. Maybe began to trust him because the, Rome, the Romans apparently, according to scholars, let up a bit on their own procedure. Normally, you'd be guarded by two, two praetorian guards. He was guarded by one, Luke tells us. But he's under house arrest. So it means that uh, for two years, Paul was loosely but definitely chained to a Roman guard, to a Praetorian guard, uh, for two years, all day long, under house arrest. Uh, it also and the guards they would rotate, they 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 would shift in and out every, about every four hours. So as a result of this, what what do you think began began to happen as Paul was constantly guarded uh, by by Roman guards who who are taking shifts every four hours. Eventually, the Praetorian guards became acquainted with Paul. They knew who he was. They, they knew what he talked about and what he would say and what he was like and what he believed. And they began to talk amongst themselves about their prisoner. Uh, some of you in the medical profession, nurses, doctors, what do you do with the patients that you're taking care of? You shift off and somebody shifts on. You talk about what the, the issue. Yeah, so-and-so's blood pressure's been high all night. Right? Or, or some of you in law enforcement community, don't you, talk with your, don't you talk with your coworkers, your colleagues, about the people that you're guarding. Right? What, what's been going on? What's the latest development? Right? Imagine the guards eventually getting to know Paul and just talking to one another about him. Paul wrote at least four, maybe five letters while he was in prison. And they're in our New Testament today. One of them was a letter to the church in Philippi. And this is what he said to them while he was in prison in Rome. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers Now, by the way, that means men and women, okay? Most of the brothers have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So we see that not only did the word of God equip Paul to testify, but it also, through Paul, emboldened other people to be less ashamed, as Ed said before, less ashamed of the gospel. So Paul's hands, John Stott wrote, the the English pastor wrote that that even though Paul's hands were chained, his mouth was open. His hands hands were bound, his mouth was not. As a matter of fact, in a later letter to his friend Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul said to him, I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. The word of God equipped, the word of God and especially the gospel, equipped Paul and Christians to testify. So the spirit of God, the plan of God is directing Paul. The word of God is equipping him. But the people of God are encouraging him all the way, all the time. If you go back to Acts chapter 27, in the very beginning, a man named Aristarchus He he was a Christian from Macedonia, northern Greece. He was with Paul in Ephesus when that crazy riot broke out. He ended up following Paul at the end of his third mission's journey back to Jerusalem, right into that dangerous situation. And then we find out that Aristarchus is on the boat on this Mediterranean journey to Rome. Aristarchus is there. He stayed by Paul's side. We know Luke was there towards the end of Paul's ministry and on this journey to Rome. We also are told in Acts chapter 28, verse 14, when they, they went after they were shipwrecked on Malta for the entire winter, they found an Alexandrian ship bound for Rome. They, they, they go to Sicily, and then they come to mainland Italy, and they go up to what's now the Naples area, and, and they come to Puteoli, and it says there they stayed for seven days with, with believers, with Christians who were already there. And then they finally come to Rome, and, and Luke tells us that when they get to Rome all the Christians in the area they hear that Paul has arrived and they all they all come and they find Paul now what i that really it looks it's easy to just brush over that that is really encouraging to me because Paul had written a letter to the churches around Rome hadn't he about 3 years before Paul ended up in Jerusalem he was in Corinth on his third missionary journey and he wrote a letter to Rome and he said to the Christians in Rome I want to visit you someday. I've never been to Rome. I eventually want to go to Spain. I want to work in the West because I've been working in the East all these decades. And, and I hope to meet you and come to you in Rome before I get to Spain. We don't know if Paul ever made it to Spain. We do know he ended up in Rome in chains as a prisoner. He wasn't necessarily planning on that. But in the end of his letter to the Romans, take a look at Romans chapter 16 when you get some, a chance. Paul mentions at least 29 people that he knew who were in the church of Rome. Priscilla and Aquila were amongst them. You've heard about them from, you know, earlier on. He mentions many, many people, really over 30 people. And he talks about them with with admiration, with affection. This one worked hard with us. This one is, is blessed by God. This person was dear to us. All these personal connections with the church in Rome. And finally he gets there. And I would imagine that a lot of those people showed up to greet Paul when he arrived as a prisoner in Rome. And what Luke tells us in verse 15 on seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. One of my greatest encouragements as a Christian has been meeting up with old friends who share my faith. Especially when there is some type of connection with, with those people that involve suffering or struggle. When, I, when, you, when you reconnect with those people who share your faith and, and can relate to you. Especially uh, through your struggles and through very important experiences. It just encourages you. It lifts up your spirit. It has for me. And it did for Paul. And we're told in verse 30 that he lived there two whole years at his own expense. Another way of translating that phrase is um, in in his own rented place. So probably the churches in Rome, we know the church in Philippi sent him money. Uh, The believers, other Christians, supported Paul while he was a prisoner so that he was able to rent a house and be under house arrest. The people of God encouraged Paul. The word of God equipped him. And the plan of God was directing his course. Now, did Paul ever stand before Caesar? It's a question people have because Luke doesn't include that in his history. Uh, And there's very little historical record of any kind of a situation that gives us clarity on that. Um, I do believe Paul stood before Caesar. It would have been Nero at that time. And the reason I believe it is because the Lord told him during the storm... You have to stand before Caesar. Uh, God's promises came true for Paul and the apostles in the early church in every other way. Why wouldn't it come true in that way? Uh, Regardless of the fact that there is an extra uh, sources out there that says that he did stand before Nero. There's some historical evidence, very little, some, uh, that Paul was released after two years and then went out and did who really knows what. We're not sure. Don't know if he ever got to Spain, but was imprisoned again. And in 64 AD, under Nero, uh, was martyred. Um, uh, We do know factually, historically, that in 64 AD, there was a massive fire in Rome in the summer. And Nero, by by then, Nero had gotten out of control. And uh, the Christians in Rome became the scapegoat. And so Nero had many Christians um, executed. And historical tradition says that the apostles Peter and Paul were among them. We really don't know for certainty. I think it's important to point out that Luke doesn't talk about the results. That wasn't Luke's focus at the end of his history. Very detailed history. Uh, very responsible. But he doesn't talk about Paul actually going before Caesar. Why? Well, look at verse 31. Because that outcome, the outcome of getting to Caesar was ultimately not Luke's point, And it never was. Look at verse 31. He says that Paul spent two years under house arrest, welcoming anybody who would want to, who wanted to come to him. It says, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. He's in chains and he's talking about Jesus without hindrance. And that's really, that's Luke's goal. The conclusion of Acts in Rome, it's, It's similar to the whole story. There's really nothing remarkable about what is happening in Rome. It's exactly what's been happening all along. They get to a new city and they proclaim the truth about Jesus to Jews and Gentiles and everybody who will listen. Uh, There are miraculous occurrences on the ship journey toward Rome. The people of God are supporting Paul. The word of God is at the center of it and God is directing the course. And finally it says, even though he is bound with chains and under house arrest, he talks about the gospel with all boldness and without hindrance. Luke's point at the end of the story is the gospel has triumphed. It's not ultimately about Paul and what hindered him and what his ultimate fate was. Peter, you know, Peter is mentioned a lot in the beginning and then in the second half he just kind of fades out and we don't hear from Peter again in the book of Acts. Uh, the point of Acts is, is to start de-emphasizing people and, and, and really start to emphasize God. And Jesus, that's what Christianity is. That's why it's different from every other religion in human histories. All religion is man-centered. At the end of the day, it's about humans and how we can be good so that God will like us. But ultimately, Christianity, we're very important, but it de-emphasizes our input and it raises up God's input. So that if you're really reading the Bible and if you're really reading the book of Acts, what you begin to understand is God's the main character. Jesus is the hero. And so Luke says, ultimately, God's gospel triumphs. It triumphs over the Jews and the Gentiles. It triumphs over the pagans. It triumphs over, triumphed over the Romans. And it was not bound even when it came to Rome in chains. Okay, so if you're a Christ, even if you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to think about three things. And if you're a Christian to really think about these things, because we need these three concepts, we need to embrace them. And they really summarize the entire book of Acts. And we see it right here in Acts chapter 28, sovereignty, truth, and fellowship. This is the Christian life. We must embrace all three things. We have to embrace sovereignty. The idea That God directs the course of the universe that he's created. And God directs the course of the creatures, you and me, and blueberries and sheep uh, that he's created. God directs all actions and that nothing, not, not even tragedy or discouragement, or war, or disease, or sin, or rebellion. Nothing, nothing can happen that is outside of God's design. He's not responsible for sin and our brokenness, and yet he is over all things so that his will cannot be changed by us. His will cannot be thwarted. Sovereignty. The Bible talks about a God who really is Lord. The other thing you have to embrace is truth. We live in a society that has given up on the concept of truth. And yet there is truth. There is objectivity in the universe and in our lives. There is one God who has one way to be reconciled to him. And it's through his son, Jesus. And everything else trickles down from there. Every other decision and every other issue starts with the idea that there is a God who has ideas and has expectations and wants us to know him. And he can be found and he can be discovered but by his prescription, not ours, okay? But the third thing you have to embrace is fellowship. The idea that that God doesn't just save an individual, but that God is saving a community of people, that God is reconciling individuals to himself as a new family so that we actually, you know, warts and all, struggles and all, we actually have one another. He adopts us all, sons and daughters. We need all three of these. Your Christianity begins to suffer if you reject any one of them. And as you're, if you don't trust Jesus, if you're wondering what this Christianity is all about, I want to encourage you to start thinking about all three of these things together. And none of us get it perfectly, but we're, we're getting there. Because look, if you embrace truth, God's truth, but you don't embrace his sovereignty... That's a problem because you're going you're gonna to read his word and you're going to trust his promises. But when things don't go the way you want them to, and when your, your prayers aren't answered the way you want them to, uh, if you doubt his sovereignty and only trust in his truth, you're going to be disappointed when things don't go your way. And you're going to want to give up on him and not trust him. And you're going to be disenfranchised by the gospel. Because although you trusted in his word and his promises, you don't know about his sovereignty. That he's in control and the results belong to him, not you, no matter how hard you work and no matter what you do. They need to go together. If if you embrace sovereignty, that God is in control um, and his ways can't be thwarted or changed, but you don't embrace truth, well now you're just you're really just kind of lost. Um, because you know that there's a plan and there's a purpose to the universe and to your life, but you have no way of knowing what it is, who God is, and what he's like and what he wants you to know. And in a sense, that's kind of fatalism. Things are going to happen and I can't do anything about it. But check this out. If you embrace God's sovereignty and you embrace God's truth, but you don't embrace the fellowship of his people, you're also in trouble. Because God's sovereignty works in such a way that he accomplishes his will through people. Theologians call it secondary causes. God's will is accomplished through real people like the Apostle Paul, like the Emperor Nero, like Pontius Pilate, like Priscilla and Aquila, like me, like you. So these, all these things, I, that was really short, but all these things work together. And, and as we grow in our faith, we learn to embrace these more and more and see how they actually work together. And without one of them, you're really crippled in your faith. We need to embrace all of them. So having said that, that we need these three things, let's talk about your witness. Right? We talked about Paul's witness. We've talked about Luke's witness as this historical author. Well, what about, my, what about our witness? Okay, our witness is this. We still get to testify that the gospel is still advancing. If you're a Christian, you are called, in a different way than Paul, but like Paul, you are called to testify that the gospel still is growing and making progress in the world. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew chapter 24, This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. He said something similar in Luke chapter 24. Luke records it a little differently. Jesus says, listen, the the scriptures say, the Old Testament says that the son of man must be crucified and raised from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. And then he said to them, you are witnesses of these things. And so the end of the earth, in a sense, was Rome. But that you and I know now, that's not the end of the earth, is it? You're, we're living in the end of the earth. You and I, living in North America in the 21st century, we're the end of the earth. You know, we get arrogant and think that we send out missionaries from America. We're the result of missionaries being sent out all over the world. We're the ends of the earth. We're the fulfillment of what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1. You're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And we're not done. Missionaries are still going out. And and not simply overseas from here, but, but right here. That's why we're a church. Is there still people who don't know about Jesus right here in Westminster? That's why we're worshiping here. It's not over. Then the end will come after the testimony and the witness has continued faithfully to all people groups. And then the end will come. So you are witnesses. If you're a Christian, you're a witness to the sovereignty of God to the truth of God and to the fellowship of God's people. You're a witness to the sovereignty of God by trusting him with your life's direction. Regardless of what happens, you trust in a sovereign God who is directing your course, even though you experience trials and opposition, and even though you have nasty setbacks and discouraging setbacks, you know that he's in control, and he's still directing your course just like he did with Paul. Regardless of your setbacks, God is moving, and that's how you testify. I'm not in control, but my creator is. But you also witness not only to God's sovereignty, but to his truth. You immerse yourself in it. You just marinate in God's truth in the gospel and in his his scripture. You marinate in God's truth, and then you share what you've learned, what you've meditated on with other people. that's, That's another aspect of witness of testimony. A sovereign God has truth that has changed you, and now it emanates out by your actions and especially by your words to the people around you. That's another way of testifying. And then the third way is you witness, you testify to the fellowship of God's people. You prove to the world and to your co workers and to your relatives and neighbors, you prove that there's something different about the church. Yeah, it's a mess. It's a mess because people are in it. We're, we're a bunch of sinners. We're saved because God's been kind to us, and and, and he's adopted us. You you don't adopt yourself into a family. You get adopted into it. So we're, we're a mess. We're sinners. We're imperfect. But we're forgiven. We're forgiven. And that's our new identity, and we move forward from there. And your testimony is that you, as scary as it sounds, begin to trust other Christians. And share yourself with them as they share themselves with you, and the world sees, ah, they're for real. Something's different about this community. it's messed up, it's broken, it's ugly. but there's a freedom about them that we don't see anywhere else. They're not trying to prove themselves to anybody. They're, they're not trying to earn their way to God. They, they seem to believe they seem to believe they already belong to him. Well, and now you have the truth of God to talk about why you feel that way and why you look differently. So you're witnesses to the truth of God, the sovereignty of God, and the fellowship of God's people. The Apostles' Creed, right? We read it once a month. I'm going to really brief summary. I believe in God the Father. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And I believe in the church. And we say, in the communion of saints. We not only believe in God, we say... We, next time you say it, <laughs> we say that we believe in God's people. Wow. So we testify, we witness to these things. God's spirit, God's word, God people, God's people are available to you regardless of the circumstances. Man, if Paul was chained and still had all of this, you, you do too. If you don't think you have it. I would look again and listen again. It may be you. Um, So listen, I want to encourage you. Rejoice. Rejoice in God's guiding presence in your life and in our world. And lean on his truth. Lean on his illuminating truth. Learn from it from his word and his gospel. And finally be encouraged by one another, encourage one another as a community. Now, if you're skeptical about all of this, if, if you're skeptical about God's plan, about God's truth, um, about God's people, I, I, I don't blame you. I, I, that's a fair concern. I, we're not accustomed to be trusting in that way, to trust our creator, to, to trust in objective truth, something as exclusive as Jesus saying, I'm the only way. Um, we certainly don't, aren't accustomed to trusting people, especially ones we don't like. But, you know, the reason we're not accustomed to thinking that way is we're used to making our own plans and relying on our own plans and following them religiously, obsessively, compulsively, serialistically. We're used to leaning on our own wisdom and only taking our own advice. Right? We go through things in life. We develop our own mode, our own way of thinking about the world and people, and that becomes the wisdom we lean on in every circumstance. And let me tell you, your way of thinking about the world and yourself is far from perfect. Perfect. And you keep leaning on that, you're going to keep stumbling because it's a weak crutch. We also tend to just rely on ourselves and not other people. We put up with other people. We take from other people what we can get out of them. We lean on them on our own terms, not trust them on their terms. And so it's hard to trust God and his truth And his people. Nonetheless, we see that the early church learned how to do that. And I believe that is why the early church grew so rapidly with such power and such testimony and why arms of the church are still growing in that way in other places in the world, maybe even in our society, in ways that the news obviously won't cover. Um, But look. This is why I wanted us to just sit in the book of Acts for nine months. Because that way of thinking, leaning on your own understanding, trusting in your own plans, and not trusting in other people. The gospel doesn't advance in that framework. It won't. And that's why Christianity is declining in the West. Because we, be, we think we've become too intelligent. Um, and the culture, with all, its, with, with all of its positive influences, its negative influences have influenced us. Too much. But I find hope, and I hope you will too. I find hope that even though Paul had a witness and Luke had a witness, and I'm trying to convince you, you do too. Put all that aside. God has a witness. God himself offers a witness. And you know what it is? It's himself. God's witness is himself. Paul brings up these words of Isaiah Isaiah chapter 6, right? Because some of the Jews believe him and some don't. So he quotes their own prophet, Isaiah, big, big important prophet. And, and he says, uh, you know, this is just, it's just coming true. Paul says, it's coming true what, what the ancient Isaiah said, that this people's heart has grown dull and with their ears they can barely hear and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. So there's a, Paul kind of offers that uh, from from a negative perspective because some people are not listening and rejecting his word, and yet, isn't there a positive side to this? Right? Look, if you commit yourself to see with your eyes what God is doing, And hearing with your ears what he's up to and what he says. And if you're committed to understanding in your heart, that's not just emotional because to the ancient writers, your heart, it was like saying your mind, your soul, the real you. Understanding with your heart who God is and what he does and what he offers you. What does God say? He'll heal you. He will heal you if you commit to this. And the proof that he will heal you is Jesus. Jesus is God's witness. That, that's the witness. Jesus, as a human being, trusted in God's plan, didn't he? He, tr- he was God himself, and yet he submitted himself as a human being to his heavenly father and trusted in his father's sovereignty. Otherwise, how would he have gotten through the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating blood? How would he have gotten through the Roman execution? How would he put up with me and you for 33 years here? Unless he trusted in his father's sovereign plan. Jesus fed himself on the word of God, on the truth of God. He said it fueled him. He only only worked and and spoke to represent his heavenly father's words and nothing else. And he said to Satan, when Satan tried to trip him up in the wilderness, uh, you don't live by bread alone. You live by what comes out of God's mouth. Finally, Jesus enjoyed fellowship. Fellowship. Not in the same way that you and I did because he was putting up with us in a way that you and I don't put up with each other. Jesus enjoyed fellowship with his heavenly father and with his Holy Spirit, the Trinity. Jesus enjoyed fellowship within the Godhead itself. So Jesus was committed to God's sovereignty and God's truth and God's fellowship. That's why when you commit to these things... To the sovereignty of God, the plan of God, the truth of God, and the people of God. When you commit to these things, what you're really doing is you're living life the way Jesus did. He did it first perfectly for you because you can't do it perfectly now. But embracing these things, friends, is is really saying, "I, I I am walking down the same path Jesus walked. And that's God's witness in the world, even now, through you. So that when Jesus said, to the ends of the earth, it only began when Paul got to Rome in chains. And it's continuing through you and me right now, right here. May that be impressed upon us. Nothing can hinder the plan of God. Nothing can silence the word of God. And nothing can destroy you and me. And I pray that as a church, we've been taking earnest notes. I don't mean literally notes with a pen. I pray that we've been taking earnest notes notes from the Holy Spirit's acts in Luke's history of the very beginning. And I pray that we will live and work and speak and serve for Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. Let's pray. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus in faith that you would do a mighty work of your Holy Spirit. That you would move in power, in truth, and in kindness among us. I pray that you would renew us as a a community of faith. I pray that you would renew us in our homes and in our friendships and in our marriages and in our professions. That we would live by your sovereignty and by your word and with your people. That others would know that there is a God. And through his son Jesus offers reconciliation and healing. Father, I pray that beginning with us and beginning with your church in Westminster and Carroll County, all the churches, that you would begin a work of your spirit, renewal. Uh, Lord, that you would change our land and heal us. But start with us, please. Thank you for the witness of Luke as he recorded your work in the very beginning. Father, may it fill us, fill us with advice and wisdom and encouragement and conviction as we continue as Christians and as a church. In Jesus' name, thank you.